0: the Bible reading for us this morning. You can find a Bible in front of you um, if you'd like to follow along. And we are going to be doing Romans 5, starting at verse 12. So if you want to follow, that's Romans 5, starting at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death ranged from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man... death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but when sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning everyone, welcome to church this morning. And uh, as Jen said, welcome especially if, if you're new or not always here at 10.30 on a Sunday morning. We're glad to see you. My name's Alan, <clears throat> I'm the Senior Minister here at St. James. And if you're one of our regulars, you'll discern that I'm a bit throaty this morning. Though I don't mind the effect, I have to say. It brings out a certain, a certain baritone gravitas well as we turn to God's word this morning let me let me lead us in prayer Lord may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory Amen as Jerry mentioned Twelve months ago, we celebrated as a church our 140th birthday. It was a great occasion. We went off-site to Trinity Grammar School so that all three of our regular congregations could all gather in the same mass congregational event. Uh, It was a great day. And part of what we did on that day, 12 months ago, was we lifted our eyes on the occasion of our 140th birthday to say, what might we be like on our 150th? What might the next 10 years have in store for us? And as Jerry mentioned, in the lead up, there'd been a process of, of collaboration and discernment uh, about uh, developing a vision for St. James for the following 10 years. And the result was to be an overflowing church, to be an overflowing church. And today, 12 months on, we're looking to refresh that, that moment uh, we're calling today Overflow Sunday, it's our birthday, and the goal for me this morning really in this sermon, it's a one-off, is really just to re-energise us with the vision that, uh, that we first embraced 12 months ago. I think, and I think this vision is brilliant, I did not come up with it, I think this vision is brilliant because it directs our attention to what God is like and therefore what it means for us to be caught up in God's work. I'm going to make three points this morning. Firstly, I'm going to talk about the overflowing God, then overflowing salvation, and then overflowing vision. Overflowing God, overflowing salvation, and overflowing vision. Well firstly then. What is what I mean, most of the people who come along on a Sunday morning at ten thirty are already Christian believers. If I were to say to you, what is God like? I mean it's a, it's it's a too big too big a question really to engage with but no doubt you would you'd would reach for one of the many affirmations the bible offers god is good or he's holy or he's perfect or he's gracious or he's generous all those things all of which are perfectly true but how's this for an answer god is overflowing god is overflowing and I say that because all those all those adjectives are true, but there's also I struggle for the words here, there's there's a, an underlying dynamic to the way God is, to the way he to the way he behaves, the way he acts, the way he interacts. And it's obvious, actually, but we tend to look past it. So for example, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We look at that and we say, well, this is saying that God is a creator. Perfectly true. But it's also worth saying, why why does God do this? Why create the heavens and the earth? What's going on here? And the answer is, God creates the heavens and the earth because God overflows. Because for God, the point is not simply to exist but to overflow, to abound, or maybe it would be more theologically accurate to say, for God, to exist is to overflow. That's why That's why create the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1 is a picture of God overflowing in creative power. God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. On and on it goes through the chapter. God said, let the water be Team with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals, all the creatures that move along the ground. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Do you see the sort of abounding energy, the abounding spirit, the abounding character of God? that we encounter in Genesis chapter one. He overflows in creative power. You could put it this way. The world exists, or maybe more personally, you exist because God overflows. Why do you exist? God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you, but he overflows, which is why why you and I are. He overflows. And you see this, you see this, trait, I suppose, of um, abundance and overflow in all God's interactions as you make your way through the Old Testament. Who is the God who encounters Abram famously in Genesis chapter 12? The Lord had said to Abram, go from your father's country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What a God. Overflow. Abundance. Blessing. It's not just that God is a promise-making God, which he is, but there's there's an underlying uh, dynamic there that is consistently revealed in the God that we encounter in the Bible. And when he explains himself, describes himself in the book of Exodus in chapter 34, here are the words that God takes for himself. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The whole Old Testament experience is of a God who overflows. It's summed up beautifully here in a couple of verses from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion and satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The, the, The psalmist is reaching after words to express the way that God overflows and abounds in goodness. What is God like? He's overflowing. And my second point is that God's overflow is is most, most uh, focally perhaps seen in his overflowing salvation. Not just in creating the world, but overflowing salvation and mercy to the undeserving. And perhaps ironically, the Old Testament character who I think saw this most clearly was the notorious anti-evangelist, Jonah, who was instructed by God to take a great warning to the vicious and bloodthirsty people of Nineveh, which initially he refused to do because Jonah knew that when stinginess and severity are called for, God is not to be trusted. Eventually, you know the story, Jonah is compelled by God to deliver his message. And the Ninevites respond wholeheartedly. Here's what happens next. When God saw what the Ninevites did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah, to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall. He's so shameless. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tashish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. It is better for me to die than to live. He thinks the last thing, the last thing people like the Ninevites deserve is an overflowing God. That's who God is. He overflows. He abounds in love and mercy. A God who saves the wicked. And of course, this this whole theme, this character of God in overflowing salvation, it culminates in the arrival of Jesus himself in the world. The world which God in his own overflow has already made. Here's a couple of sentences from John chapter 1. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace upon grace, as the older translations used to say. The overflowing grace of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul summarises all this in the Bible reading we heard a few moments ago by contrasting the the deadly consequences of Adam's behaviour with the abundant salvation that comes through Jesus. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow, there it is, to the many, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The law was given so that, that brought in so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What seems like overwhelming human wickedness is itself overflowed by the grace of God, overflowing salvation. Now, if you're a Christian person, you know this. But my question for you this morning is, do you believe it? You know it, but do you believe it and I, I i I see this I see this in my own heart I certainly see this as a pastor. we know this, but nevertheless we we hesitate as it were outside God's door, we don't want to go in we we imagine we'll have to stand ashamed in front of God's desk or something and and make make our little speech like, God, I've, I've got something terrible to tell you. It happened again. Or whatever your version of that speech is. God, I, I don't know why, I just, I, I'm just not excited about being a Christian, I barely care about it. God, I, I haven't prayed in so long. Or there are things written in the Bible that I don't feel good about. <laughs> All the things that make us nervous about what we might experience. But what in fact, what in fact meets us when we turn to God is what? It is overflow. It is love. It is rejoicing. It's forgiveness. It's mercy. It's compassion. It's delight. It's the picture that Jesus paints in the, in the wonderful parable of the prodigal son, as the son fearfully nears home and the father comes rushing out and the son is met with embracing and rejoicing and celebration and feasting. This is the picture of an overflowing God, you see, overflowing salvation. And when you understand this, you see, when you understand that Jesus' love for you overflows, that he prizes and rejoices in your repentance and your salvation, even more than he does his own life, that the risen Lord Jesus delights in you. When we dare to believe this, then by his Holy Spirit, a transformation begins within us. We start in our own small way to see some of that, that overflow. We're caught up in it. We encounter something That starts to transform us. (laughs) Let me give you an illustration. The the family that I grew up in was very emotionally undemonstrative. We were a low temperature, a a low-temperature operation. This will shock you. Um, You know, I I didn't have much physical contact with my father. We'd shake hands from time to time, as is proper. And uh, when, when Ruth and I started getting serious, my wife Ruth, when, when we started getting serious, I got to know something of her family. Well, her family was the opposite. Huggy, gushy, I love you, all that kind of thing. Well, obviously I discerned here a very dangerous and dysfunctional emotional system. <laughs> and I remember when we, we, we got engaged and in our, in our pre-marriage kind of preparation thing, we went out, did this workshop and the facilitator said, uh, broke, he said all to all the couples, go away and uh, here's some butcher's paper. I want each of you to draw a picture of what happy family life looks like and then explain your pictures to each other. Well, I think I drew a picture of a kind of house with four windows and a smiling face in each one, all very proper. Uh, and uh, there it is, you know, it explains itself. Ruth drew a picture of an enormous bed with all these people in it. earth is that and she says well you know how on Saturday morning you know everyone kind of comes and jumps into mum and dad's bed and it's all kind of silliness and joy and this was an appalling <laughs> an appalling vision of, of domestic anarchy I, couldn't, I could barely believe what I was hearing well of course for me to start to, to, start to get to grips with such a joy-filled and affectionate family culture you fast forward 10 years, and what happens at our house on a Saturday morning? Ruth and I are in bed, three kids all in there jumping around. It's Encountering this began to transform me. I saw, I saw what there was, the blessing that there was to be had in this. And, I mean, it's a feeble analogy, but when, when you encounter the overflowing character of God, when you dare to believe The grace and the love that overflows from God to you as His child. Then you, in turn, increasingly overflow. And you see this in the New Testament that Christians are people who overflow with joy and with hope and with love and with faith. Here's a couple of examples from Romans 15 Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. There it is. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Or from 1 Thessalonians. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. This is the Christian dynamic. These are people who belong to an overflowing God. Or Colossians 2. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. When we're saved by the overflowing God, we become an overflowing and gracious people and we gather together as an overflowing church. Which brings me... To my final point, our 10-year vision, to be an overflowing church. Now, as Jerry Jerry mentioned, as we reflected on this in the first half of last year, it became clear to us that St James can probably, humanly speaking, we can probably remain the sort of church we currently are pretty much indefinitely. Bigish, good kids and youth programs which mean that local Christian families are always going to seek us out and find their way here, um, good staff team, things done well, good music, but we thought is that really, is that really our ambition, to remain as we are, to stay the same, If we worship an overflowing God, then there must be that overflowing dynamic among us. Hence the vision to be a church that that overflows with joy, that we rejoice in what it means to be God's people and to be brought together into fellowship with our sisters and brothers in Christ. To be a church that overflows with impact as we seek to bless our community. In whom God has situated us, a church that overflows with growth, that others might be be brought into the knowledge, saving knowledge of Jesus, just as God in His kindness has brought each of us. That's the vision, and I think, as I said, before, I think this is brilliant. I think this is genius. But it's important to understand when we say the vision is to be an overflowing church, we don't mean a building jam-packed full of people, I mean, that's easy enough to achieve. You just cancel one of our congregations, the other two would be overflowing. It's not, about, it's not about the physics. It's about the spiritual dynamic that we experience here as people who know an overflowing God. And I have to say, I look at that vision, and I look at us, I think, no, I don't think that's quite who we are. But that's, that's why it's a vision. <laughs> it's not just a label. It's a vision. Because God is who he is, this is who we can yet become, an overflowing church. And if you know the overflowing God, then you have a part to play in this vision as you're caught up in people who reflect his character. And the point is not that we're going to depend on this vision in some sense, but rather that we depend on the overflowing God. And having said that, of course, prayerfulness becomes a central, a central commitment and conviction in pursuing our vision. And as I hope you're aware, this coming Wednesday we have our next Overflow prayer gathering. It's from 7.30. It's a great occasion. We, we hear testimonies. We rejoice in the work that God is already doing among us by his overflowing grace and mercy, and we also spend time praying for his continued blessing and favour. Well, today's Overflow Sunday, and uh, if, you, if, you, if you're excited by this great work, then I invite you to do what we invited people to do 12 months ago. You can sign the, the vision board, those canvases, we're reopening the vision board. If you weren't around last, last year or, or, or you were non-committal, feel free, we're reopening it, you can sign it today. And signing it is not, it's not a, an indication of your uh, bottomless faith in me or even in St. James, but rather in the overflowing God whom we serve and the work that he might yet do among us. Let me finish with these words from Ephesians that capture our longing perfectly.